You are listening to the Model Train Talk podcast. Each episode, RJ and I discuss various topics about the world's greatest hobby, model trains. The purpose of this podcast is to help promote, inspire, and bring a breath of fresh air to the hobby. Recording the podcast makes it possible to share stories of others and to help grow the model train community. Thank you for listening to the Model Train Talk podcast. So you've got that great shelf behind you with all those trains. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your collection, uh, what you like to collect, what brands? Because I know you're very loyal to one brand in particular. Um, yeah, I, I'm very loyal to a brand that usually puts their products in either yellow boxes or purple boxes. Uh, I, I'm very loyal to MTH and um, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I enjoy everybody's trains. I have Weaver in my collection. I have Atlas in my collection. I'm very loyal to everybody's trains. But um, many, many, many years ago, even pre DCS, um, I made the connection with Mike Wolf and Andy Edelman of MTH Electric Trains. Um, so naturally. You know, my preference went to them because I had an opportunity to, um, you, you know, uh, visit visit with them, talk with them, sit with them. We've eaten together. Um, the building that they just left, I've been into at least a half a dozen times, anywhere from Mike's office to Andy's office to production to the warehouse. Um, Everything I've been to the the uh, layout they have set up in the entrance. Um, actually, it's kind of funny, but it, it's really cool. Um, when you were to walk in the front door to the right, they had a conference room, but it was sent, set up like a Pennsylvania passenger car. But it was a conference room, and um, you know they they when I was in the modular railroad club uh, as well, they gave. Um, our club a ton of support in various ways so um, you know to return the respect and the support um, would be the natural thing to do great and we also talked before about how you were one of the original people to test dcs or something along those lines do you want to talk a little bit about that experience, about being one of the first at, people to try DCS? At one point, there were TIU, three TIUs in the world. Mike Wolf had one, Tony Lash had another, and we had the third. Um, it was set up by a girl that used to work for them. Uh, her name was Kristen Bailey. And um, we beta tested the very first TIU before it was released to the general public. Um, since then, as they did upgrades from, you know, different versions of the software, currently they're up to 6.1, um, before it was released for general use, um, we got an advanced copy of it to test this, that look for bugs, you know, uh, as you know, like with software, um, if you change something in a software, sometimes you create a problem somewhere else and it don't work right. So our job was to basically look for any bugs and make sure everything was good before it went out for public release. But 
Um, yes, we had one of the original TIUs ever built um, before public use. That's cool. That's very exciting. Um, this is kind of an interesting question, but you said that you had always stuck with the conventional and post-war stuff. And then you said you moved from one generation to the next. How was that experimenting with that TIU and DCS? What was that like? What, what were your initial thoughts while testing this? It was because I, I, I was very old school, conventional post-war. And when the whole idea of remote control came out, whether it be TMCC or DCS, believe it or not, I was one of the guys totally against it. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I mean, who wants to sit there with a clicker, basically a remote and push buttons? I, you know, I, I was more hands-on. I wanted to actually operate the trains. I wanted to be more responsible for actually making things happen, not just kind of sit there and push buttons. Um, so I was against it at first. Um, but then I tried it and started getting into more and more and more and more. And, um, I, I actually found it, um, with the added features that all the manufacturers put into their trains, it, it, it actually made your trains a little bit more realistic because it just simply gave you more access, whether you're using, Legacy TMCC or DCS, if you're using command, it gives you access to a lot more than you can do uh, with, with a whistle button on a transformer. Sam is worried right now because he's that post-war MPC collector. And uh, he's asking you this because he's scared that when he gets his first MTH engine, he's going to want to sell everything and get into uh, the command control MTH stuff. Right, Sam? No. I will always stick with my MPC and post four. Sam, even, even if you do go modern, don't sell a thing. Um, I was talking to RJ a while ago. I was seriously considering selling a reasonable amount of my collection and shifting my interest somewhere else. And um, I'm going to be honest with you. I just couldn't do it. I, I kind of backed out the last moment and I'm like, man, some of this stuff I've had for a while. I mean, how do you, for something as simple as a box car, if you've had it for 20 years, how do you, how do you get rid of it? I'm like, I can't do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, my, the reason how I got into trains was my, uh, my mom's dad actually collected line of post for an NPC and we still have some of his pieces here at the house in possession of the family. And so Literally from like day one, when we got those trains out and like ran them, my mom was like, you know, these are, these are very special engines. We do not sell them. And that was implanted in my head, implanted in my head from day one. So, you know, having like the NPC era, like blue comet set, like that's probably one I'll never sell. If I do, it's going to be really late in my lifetime and stuff like that. And, and I've, I, I've talked about it with, with, with some other people and I'm, I'm just kind of kind of use the example um sid's sid's layout is currently under construction to rebuild um sid runs primarily lionel but although he does run other stuff he's running on fast tracks with homosote right now until he finishes the scenery um you're running with tubular track with scenery rj is running with fast track and scenery and i'm running with car graves and scenery and you know what 
they they all look good. There is no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, yes, you basically have to, if you're going to run three rail trains, you basically have to be able to electrically hook them up the right way. And there's even ways to tweak that sometimes, but there is no right or wrong way. I mean, we, we all do things a little bit different, but you know what? They all look good. And that's what makes the, the hobby interesting. Everybody is not running an oval. Everybody's not running a figure eight. Everybody's not just running this or that. There's always something new to see. There's always something new to learn. Um, it, it just makes the hobby that much more exciting. There's something, even if you've been in a hobby 20 or 30 years, there's something you haven't seen yet. There's no two same ways to make a layout, except for that one person who copied the same track plan as my layout, but I gave him permission to do that. You have a lot of trains. What are a couple of your favorites right off the top of your head that are in your collection? There will nothing come even close to 614. Sorry, that's always... <laughs> Um, always number one, always will be. It's actually a Proto Sound one that I had upgraded to Proto Sound two when that came out, and then from there I had it upgraded to Proto Sound three. Um, could I have sold my Proto Sound one and bought a PS three green six fourteen? Sure. Um, but that engine has a lot of history. I'm not too sure on the year, but MTH released that engine in either 1997 or 1998. And there's no way I can get rid of that. So I, I love all of my trains. Um, but if I had to pick one, hands down, it's not even close. 614's number one. Obviously, there's a reason behind that. It's because you're actually on the train driving it and blowing the whistle and whatnot. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I got the opportunity of a lifetime to work on the real one. Um, so if you had an opportunity to work on a real steam locomotive and then a manufacturer comes out with a O-gauge model of that locomotive, of course you're going to want to have to have it. Yep. So, I mean, uh, I, I, like I said, I love all my trains, but that one always will be number one. Right. Of course. I All mean, right. if there's, you know, I mean, that thing goes through inspection like every every week. If there's something dirty, something needs done, something's not smoking right, it, it, it's always in tip-top shape and always works. And on top of 614, I know that you collect a lot of Pennsylvania Railroad stuff, you know. So what's your connection with the Pennsylvania Railroad uh, why do you enjoy collecting the PR PRR? Well, I, I, I live in Jersey, but I, I, I live here. I was originally born in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is about a half an hour um, southeast of Pittsburgh. And my, my original um, interest in trains was when I was a little kid. Um, I, I actually remember uh, my grandpa on my mom's side. Um, they had lived right outside of a coal mine in a little, little town that probably was only a couple hundred people uh, called Portage, Pennsylvania. And the siding that went into the in and out of the coal mines was right past the fence in their backyard. 
So every time my grandpa would hear a train coming or going, you know, he grabbed me by the hand, said, come on, Bob, let's go, let's go, let's go see the train. And we'd go down to the engine of the yard by the fence and would wave to the engineer and I'd watch them bumping coal cars back and forth into the coal mine. And about 15 minutes from my um, mom's parents' house, my dad's parents lived in a little town called Cassandra, Pennsylvania, which <laughs> has probably a hundred people in it. Um, and right, right past her backyard was a hill. And I would go every day. I would spend all day there. I would climb the hill and sit on the top of the hill. And from that hill, um, although they have three tracks now, at that time they had four tracks. That was the Pennsylvania main line that fed into Galitzin and eventually Horseshoe Curve. So I would sit up on that hill and, oh my gosh, every 15 minutes there was a train coming. So I could sit up there for hours and see 30 or 40 trains because that was the Pennsylvania main line that fed into Horseshoe Curve. So that, that was the beginning of the interest into real trains. I was just going to say, I wish here in Indiana, I could sit on top of a hill and watch a train go by every 15 minutes, but it's a rare sighting to even see one where I go to school at Ball State. I mean, I do hear some trains. It's a little bit more busier than it is around where I live, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I was like six or seven years old and I, I, I would just, you know, pack a little, pack a little brown bag and go up and sit on the hill for hours and hours and hours and um, just watch trains and it, it was it was great no i i was the same way as a kid you know i i live less than a mile from the long island railroad's main line so as a kid i'd be able I, from my bedroom window i can hear the trains passing right now because of covid it's only uh once uh, it's only twice an hour that a train will pass plus local freight traffic which is usually a train or two a day um but you know when the world was normal I'd hear five, six trains a day and I could go watch them go past. They were all the same train. They all looked alike, but it was still cool to see a train. But uh, my last question about your collection, um, just from talking with you, um, you also enjoy collecting like the theme trains. Like you have the Halloween trains, uh, the GE Evolution, every freight car that MTH has put out for it, uh, along with Christmas trains. So what got you interested in collecting those theme trains that mth was putting out um when i went went to my local hobby shop uh they had a um the the ge evolution from mth and i saw it and it it really what it really wasn't my thing um although i have modern diesel now at that time modern diesel didn't really do it for me all that much um, but I would look at it and look at it and I must've looked at it 10 times. And then finally I said, uh, how much, how much you want for the evolution? So I got it. And, um, it, it's just an amazing engine. It, it runs and sounds great. Um, the charging lights on the bottom, um, I mean the smoke, just I'm big on special effects, whether it's light, smoke, sound, you name it. Um, the bigger the show, the better it is for me. And um, like RJ says, you can't just have one. After I bought the first one, I bought the second one and the third one. And I have four GE evolutions with the fifth one on order. Um, 
my daughter liked the Halloween train and it was, it's the same thing. It's an evolution, but in the Halloween scheme. Um, so I got into those as well. And over a period of time, I picked up four of those and in between all that picked up the rolling stock to match it. Um, I, I always was into the, as far as the Christmas trains, I would collect the box cars that MTH would put out every year. Like a lot of people, a lot of companies do. They put out the holiday box car for the year. And um, I, I believe the first one was from 1994. I don't remember. But I got the uh, first Christmas car from MTH. And then I continued with that. And I have every single one they ever made from day one until now. And then... Um, when MTH got into the whole LED thing with, you know, decorating their Christmas cards with LEDs, um, I went really, really crazy with that. And I have smoking tank cars that I put in Christmas scented smoke and all the LED cars. Um, I have the four car box car set with the LEDs and it just the, literally the whole train lights every single car either smokes or has a led and that i believe is about 25 cars long and it, it's just something you know i i appeal it it it, it just kind of caught my face is it prototypically no it's entirely toy like it's fun and you know i i like my stuff to be reasonably prototypical i like them to look good um, but at the same token, there's a lot of my collection that is fantasy or toy. And, I, and if it's fun, I want it. So you're a huge MTH guy. From talking with you, I'd say about 90% of your collection is MTH. When Mike Wolf announced that he was retiring and it sounded like MTH was going to stop producing products altogether, what was your initial reaction? Uh, oh, no, life is going to end. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was uh, RJ's response too. It was even before they started releasing public announcements about you know pro projects and um, special runs coming out. Um, I, I started to look and think of what they were doing, and I, I was thinking, well, wait a minute, this makes no sense. If Mike Wolf is, say Wolf is saying that he's going to close the doors June 1st. Um, you know, this was going back in the fall, um, November, December, January, even February, they were still announcing products that were coming out and delivery on them products was way past June. Some of them were August, some of them were October. And although I didn't have any information at the time, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If MTH is saying they're closing the doors June 1st, um, with all these special runs and products that they're announcing on their website and everything else, and those things aren't going to be delivered until June, July, August, September, um, something's going to happen. So I, I kind of got the idea that um, they were going to continue in some fashion um, because for a company to be closing the doors in three or four months, why would they possibly still be announcing new product? So that, that gave me a little bit of a breath of hope. And then when more information came out, 
and uh, MTH will continue at a reduced level. Um, I'm good. <laughs> I know I'm certainly relieved that MTH will still be uh, producing products. And I, I was there with you that I didn't think that MTH would actually be closing down with all of the new products that they were announcing. And uh, it was actually surprising the, the amount of people who still thought that MTH would be wrapping up and closing down business, you know, this month after announcing all those new products. But right, because after Mike made the announcement, everything got real quiet and hush, and there was a lot of um, uh, guessing by the general public. Oh no, what's going to happen? What you know? What are they going to do? Yeah. Because and all of a sudden, like out of left field, they started announcing products, and I'm going, this doesn't make sense for a company that's going to close the doors. Because there, there was a sizable gap between, I think it was May 18th of 2020 that MTH made the announcement that Mike Wolf was retiring and the future of the company was up in the air. But it wasn't until like October, November that they announced their first product. So there was a period of time where everything was up in the air. But once they cataloged those uh, ES44s, the BNSF Heritage paint schemes, and I want to say it was Pat's Trains, announced a custom run of US-44s that I knew that our MTH is going to be around in some capacity for at least, you know, longer than we expect. Oh, absolutely. RJ's pretty much right on the money with it, with the timeline from the point they announced in May that they were going to close until somewhere in the fall. There was no news at all coming out. And, um, you know, everybody was under the assumption, you know, they're gone you know, where's the hobby going to be? And um, con competition is good. I mean, whether it be Mike, Lionel, uh, the new MTH, Atlas, competition is good. You, you don't want the hobby to rely on one sole manufacturer um, because the incentive to come out with new products or to improve products or do something different. The, the um, incentive is not really there because if they're the only show in town, um, why bother? Because it's the philosophy of, well, if they want to buy trains, they're going to have to buy my trains anyway. So why should I change anything? Yep. And so whether it be Mike, Lionel, Atlas, I mean, having them all around for us as hobbyists, that's a good thing. All right. Well, uh, I don't think I have anything else. It was really fun to listen to Bob talk about 614 and um, his opinion on MTH and whatnot, because I don't know very much about either of those things, because the only two MTH pieces that I have are um, Santa Fe passenger cars. So I have yet to buy an MTH engine. And, and there, there's, there's something always new to learn or change about the hobby. Um you, you may know these two guys. One guy kind of gave me the idea. Well, I kind of borrowed his idea uh, to put a caboose up in a mountain. And uh, another guy kind of gave me the idea and I kind of borrowed his idea to install a trolley line down up and down my main street. So um, I blame both of those guys, but it was a very positive change. You might know them. Yeah. I think I've seen a couple layouts like that on YouTube with those features. Yeah, we took time out of today to uh, talk to you and hear all your different experiences. We'll definitely be back and talk to you a little bit more about 
um, some of those stories and stuff like that in closer detail. Absolutely. It'd be a pleasure. All right. Well, again, thank you for listening to another episode of the Model Training Talk podcast. And be sure to subscribe to our channel and hit the bell notifications for when we come out with another podcast. Our podcast is also available on Spotify and whatnot. So thank you guys. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.